Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading. Sports Squad with Io and Chanel. Hello and welcome to Sports Squad here on Fun Kids. I'm Io and with me is Chanel. Chanel, lockdown limitations have been loosened at the moment and I'm actually getting to play a bit more tennis, getting a bit more cycling in and uh, actually sitting in the park with some mates, which is quite nice. It's been a while since I've sat in the park with some mates to have a chat. What have you been up to over the last week or so? I went to the park and played some football and then actually watched some live sport too. Snooker and horse racing are back after coronavirus, so I sat in front of the telly to watch some live action. Talking of uh, sitting down and staying in, uh, our guest today spends all their time sitting down to compete in big races. He's an Olympic champion and a three-time world champion as well. Sports Squad with Io and Chanel. Okay, let's meet our guest. He's one of the world's best in a boat. And he does a bit of rowing as well. He's the reigning Olympic Coxers four champion, most Behe. Welcome to Sports Squad. So how you doing, man? Very good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Now, well, we talked about sitting down, uh, but rowing is an incredibly tough sport. I've been lucky enough to, to have a go at it. Honestly, the stamina you need to keep at that pace is relentless. Yeah, it's, it's a very strange sport. Um, everyone thinks it's arms when it's legs. Mm. Um, and then you do a lot of training for a very short amount of time. So, you know, like footballers, they train a lot, but they also play often twice a week, 90 minutes. That's 180 minutes a week. Whereas I'm training seven days a week, 49 weeks of the year for one race, essentially. And that race can be anywhere between five and a half minutes to six minutes long. And depending upon what boat you're in, you also have to judge yourself. So if you're in the eight, that is the 100 meters of rowing. So that's the fastest event. And it does feel like a sprint. So that can be five minutes, 20. And then if you're in the single, that's six minutes, 30. Mm -hmm. And the eight, there's seven other rowers. So if you kind of have a little bit of a wobble, you start to lose energy, you've got some people around you. Whereas if you're in the single and you mispace it, that's it. You're a goner. You're a sitting duck. Yeah. Yeah, Game over. (laughs) You know, I I always think about you guys rowing together and I always think of a, a collective peer pressure to stay in your lane or stay on pace. Do you feel that? Is there that peer pressure inside you to go, I've got to keep up with this, lads, because, you know, everyone has to be on form in order for us to cross that finishing line or, you know, win the race. Well, if if, if you're in a race and you have any moments of darkness or kind of feeling like you want to give up or it's hurting and, and you're not sure whether you can push on, if you give up, then, like I said, if you're in the eight, you're one eighth. But if you give up and then the next person gives up and the next person gives up, all at different points in the race, before you know it, you've got 50% of the crew have given up and you're going nowhere, essentially. Um, So, yeah, it's very important with all the training that you do to know that you're supporting your teammates and they're supporting you. And that bond develops through the years and years of rowing with each other or even the weeks and months that lead them to a major competition. So by the time you get to the Olympics, you know that you're not going to give up. and You know that the people around you are not going to give up. So when, when we started that race in Rio, we did the first 10 strokes. I knew we'd won because the first 10 are almost slightly the most kind of nerve-wracking because you have to get them done. But the moment that buzzer went and we did those first 10 strokes, I knew because my teammates were fantastic. And if I stayed on my 
like you said, in my lane and on my form, then they would know that I was fantastic as well. And there's something very powerful about that bond that you create. Yeah, I, I mean, you must have to work together so many times and definitely you do know each other's personalities as well uh, along the way. Now, I'm also quite interested in sort of um, Britain's success in rowing. You know, everyone knows about Sir Steve Redgrave and his incredible achievements, you know, five Olympic golds. Um, what got you into the sport? Who was, was he someone that inspired you? Well, it's weird. Um, how I got into sport was through a talent ID scheme. So it's called World Class Start. It's now called Start. I went to a normal comprehensive secondary school in an area that actually has a load of rowing clubs. My school has no link, has no association with any of the rowing clubs. So I was jack of all trades, master of none. I did every single sport under the sun. And then, yeah, they came in and they tested 10,000 kids within our area or within the catchment area. So they went into loads of different schools. And I happened to meet the criteria along with two other boys. And then that's how I started. So it was May 2003 that I took my first rowing stroke. And by that, I meant I fell in. I always call it my fairy tale of how I've got into Rome because if, if they didn't come into that day to test or if I wasn't in school or if I had actually made it on to the school bus to go to football instead of going into the, the testing gym, then I wouldn't be sat here talking to you 17 years later now. You know, it, it, it's mad you say that because um, I, I think from, from my perspective, because I grew up in an inner city school with not much money or facilities to row for that reason. I always think about role models as well. And, you know, you're Muslim. Your name is Mohammed. Short, you shorten it for Mo. Um, father's Moroccan. How important is it to have those role models in, in that respect and really um, let young people know that actually the path is open if you're willing to just step away from the mainstream of football and, you know, all, all those easy accessible sports? It's incredibly important. And even now with what's going on in the world and, and society right now, it's even more important for a sport like British Rowing to be able to, to get out there and, and, like you said, to get into the inner cities and try and promote rowing in, in a positive way. Historically, we've had white middle class people as the, the kind of role models. And, and that's not, it's not criticism. That's just where the success and the, where the pathways of the athletes have come from has been the private schools, the very elite school system or college system that we have here. So to be able to open up the doors and bring the sport into the inner cities is very important. It's something that I feel very passionate about, especially after what's been going on in the last week in the world. And yeah, we, we need to find a way that opens up the doors to the inner city kids and kids of maybe more diversity. Um, I know there are some fantastic boat clubs out there. Fulham Reach Boat Club uh, on the river in Fulham is one of those ones that goes into inner city schools and brings Hammersmith's inner city schools and takes them out rowing and they, and they thoroughly love it. But that's just one in a very big country. There are so many kids out there that are slipping through the net for one reason or another, whether that be in sport, whether it be in music, whether it be in art, whether it be in whatever. All that somebody essentially done for me was showed me a little bit of faith and told me that I could be an Olympic medalist in 2003. You could be an Olympic gold medalist or an Olympic medalist nine years later. I fulfilled that kind of prophecy, but it wasn't until somebody told me that. And like I said, living in an area with so many rowing clubs and so many rowers, when you see a six foot five, 15 year old teenager walking around, you just want to go up to them and go, I was exactly like you and you can be an Olympic gold medalist because that's what's happened to me. Um, so I feel very passionate about trying to get um, yeah, as, many, as many kids as possible into different things and, and into things that maybe necessarily they wouldn't be trying um, due to their normal background or normal education or, or yeah, circumstances. 
Mate, that's a wonderful way to end this and very inspiring way to try and fish up the next generation into different sports. And I also think, you know, what you're saying is really important because, you know, this could be stretched out to so many other sports. Tennis, for instance, is a very middle class sport. And you think if some kid from inner city Birmingham or inner city London or inner city Sheffield, Manchester, all these Bradford, you know, could be given the opportunity um, to play tennis because they're very sporty anyway. Could you imagine the next champions, Wimbledon champions we might have that might be white, black, you know, brown or whatever. It could be really, really important for Britain. Yeah, it is. And, and something I will say whilst I have the opportunity, mm. I've been in the sport long, long now and I've been a, a captain of a club, which basically means a chairman of, of a very highly prestigious club. And I know that rowing isn't as expensive as everybody thinks. With rowing, most of the junior clubs are cheaper or on the same level as rugby, football, basketball, tennis. Um, it's just opening up and, and, and educating people that that is available for them as an option. And then you're using pieces of equipment that's £10,000 plus. You're insured, you've got coaching on tap. Um, you've got a support network and, and a family network that develops if you stay within the sport. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's opening up those kind of boundaries and perceptions and trying to get the message out there that actually rowing is a relatively cheap sport. You don't have to have much money. And if you are pretty talented and you turn up at a club and they think that you could be quite good, most clubs, if they know your background, if you are struggling, they will help you because of they will see the value in you as an individual or as in you as a group, and they will try to help you, whether that be a discount on the fees or discount on equipment. Um, yeah, they will, they will try to help as best possible. Amazing, amazing. Well, stay with us, because I definitely know you have got a sporting challenge for our listeners as well. Sports Squad Challenge. Yeah, I do. Um, a rowing race generally consists of 220 to 240 strokes, rowing strokes taken. And as I said, it's a leg-based sport. So my challenge to you guys out there would be 220 to 240, depending upon how excited and, and challenged you feel, to do 220 squats, burpees and squat jumps. And you can break it down into 10 each or 20 each or 30 each. But the moment you hit and, and, and try to do it as quickly as possible. Wow, because I was like, can they have a week to do this? It might be one of the harder challenges that you guys have seen. However, for the younger listeners that might find 220 a bit daunting, I would urge you to start at 25 um, squats, burpees or squat jumps and then build your way up from there. And 25 will be quite a good challenge and then the next marker will be 30 and then so on. If you need to build up to it, then I totally understand. Look, Mo, thank you so much for joining us on, on Sports Squad. Really inspiring story. And uh, you topped it off with an unreal challenge. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. The World of Sports Squad. What a legend most be he is. Honestly, what he had to say about bringing more young people into the sport from different backgrounds and different environments, honestly, is something I really, really strive for. Right, Chanel, it's time for the world of sports. So what have you got for us this week? Io, I know you've been playing a lot of tennis. Who's your tennis idol? 
Oh man, I mean, ah, this is the worst question ever because I, I just love so many people from Songa to Monfils to Philip uh, Auger, um, Ali Asim to Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Andre Agassi, Philippoussis, Chang, Washington, Nadal, Djokovic, uh, Titi Pat. Oh, do you know what? We can't forget Federer as well, really. Yeah, I mean, Federer is probably the best tennis player of all time. So um, all those names included, I think I'll put Federer in there. Well, if only you could play like Roger Federer, you would have earned a whopping $106 million over the past 12 months. Forbes Business Magazine has just released their list of highest paid athletes and Federer is top of the list. The first tennis player to be number one. Incredibly, $100 million was off court earnings. Just six million in prize money. So get practicing that backhand. I've heard it needs a lot of work. I don't need to do backhands because I mean, you clearly don't know how much I get paid for this podcast. So no, that's incredible. That's incredible. But you know, I'm sure he has to be close to a lot of other sports stars. Who else is in that top 10? Soccer superstar Cristiano Ronaldo is second on the list with $105 million. Lionel Messi, third with $104 million. Neymar is fourth. Basketball stars LeBron James, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant come next. Golf legend Tiger Woods is at number seven. Tennis star Naomi Osaka is the highest-ranked woman at 29th. Fellow player Serena Williams is at number 33. The only two women in the top 100. That's madness, isn't it? The the huge gap between male and female sport and the kind of money that they're making considering uh, their respective achievements. That's absolute madness. But I keep looking at these figures and I'm like... How much money do you need, guys? You wanna, do you wanna share the wealth with me and Chanel? Because uh, you know she's not at school at the moment. Uh, you know, works a bit tricky at the moment. Fedra, give us, give us a couple of million. You won't miss it. Yeah, I'd love some. I'd buy a fancy car. Um, a f- few more years until I can drive. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. That is all we have got time for on today's show. It's goodbye from Chanel. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. Bye bye. Sports Squad is brought to you with the support of the Audio Content Fund. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy the program, please review and rate us as well. We'll catch you next time.